Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Dental Download Podcast. My name is Haley, and I'm your host. Today's episode, we are joined with a guest, Brian Hanks, the author of How to Buy a Dental Practice, Part 1 and Part 2. But we talk about how to buy a dental practice, some of his tips, and he will also give you an opportunity to purchase his book at a discounted price if you'd like. So be sure to continue to listen. But first, as always, we're going to do a little intro, catching you up on what's going on in my life as a first-year dental student at the University of Michigan School of Dentistry, and then we will also share some motivation for this week since it is a Monday, little Monday motivation for you. And at the end of the episode, I am finishing up our last segment of our book club, reading the book Atomic Habits. So I will share some of my key takeaways from the last two parts of that book at the end of this episode. So be sure to stick around if you have been reading along with us over the past three weeks. But as for catching up on what's been happening in my life, tomorrow on January 11th is the first day of our winter term of D1 year, which is my last semester as a first year dental student. For us, we will finish this term in April because there isn't a spring break due to the pandemic. They don't want people traveling. So we are finishing up a little early in April, and then we will start our summer term in May. And when that summer term starts, I'll technically be a second-year dental student, which is so exciting. We have 26 credits coming up this term, and I will read those classes off to you. And in upcoming episodes and the intros, you'll get to hear how they're all going. But for now, I don't know too much about them. Other than that, we're also getting into clinic this semester to start assisting, and we're working in the practice clinic on each other, on our classmates, doing x-rays and profies, which are dental cleanings, and then we'll also still be in sim lab doing different restorative dentistry techniques as well. So the classes we are taking is up to 26 credits. So we have principles of pharmacology, basic radiology, clinical foundations one, comprehensive care clinic, Diagnostic Sciences 1, Oral Health Promotion, Fundamentals of Periodontics, Behavioral Science 2, Intro to Prosthodontics, The Nervous System, The Musculoskeletal System, Development, Regeneration, and Genetics, that's all one course, and then Cariology 2. So we are pretty jam-packed a lot of the days, I guess maybe half the days, they have us scheduled from 8 a.m. to 7.30 p.m., so... Very, very busy, and then you have to work in your studying around all of that. But I'm optimistic that it'll be a good semester. We had so long that we were out of sim lab, so for the hands-on portion of this semester, I'm a little bit stressed because I haven't held a handpiece in two months, which just really intimidates me because I was just finally starting to get comfortable with things. But hopefully I get back in there and it all feels good and smooth and I can be successful this semester in sim lab, but time will tell and you will get updates in the podcast as well as my YouTube channel if you don't know or aren't following on there and are interested. I have a YouTube channel that's just my name, Haley Schultz, and I post videos every single week on Wednesdays, usually dental school vlogs, but sometimes other informational content about all things dentistry. And finally, for this intro, I do also just want to share some motivation. So since this episode is a bit more financial-based, I did want to share some 
inspiration or motivation for you, especially if you're a student, to look into if there's any way you can be saving more or even investing a little bit. I really think that that would pay off for you in the long run. That's something that I looked into over our winter break and was able to find some money that I can be investing little by little because the earlier you get involved in the market, the better your returns will be by the time you're old and ready to retire. So definitely try to make smart financial decisions right now and take a little bit of time this week to reflect on how you can better yourself for the future when you're getting ready to buy a practice or when you're getting ready to retire. I know it seems very far away, but you'll be so thankful that you started to look at it now in your teens or your 20s or even your 30s, sooner is better than later. And so with all of that said, we will be getting into the conversation today with Brian Hanks. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. All right, hi everyone. So we have another guest today, and I will let them introduce themselves. Hi, Haley. This is Brian Hanks. I am a dental CPA who helps buyers buy dental practices. Uh, so what I do is I work with dentists, only work with dentists, I only work with buyers, and I work nationwide in all 50 states. And I got into doing this by doing taxes and financial planning as a what you would think of as a more normal dental CPA. And I was doing tax returns, and I was seeing how much money dentists were making, and in some cases weren't making. And I started digging in and saw that there was a common factor in those that were doing well, and I, I don't mean only financially, though financially is a piece of the puzzle, but those that were doing well, like satisfaction-wise, doing the clinical work they wanted, having the schedule they wanted, the free time, the vacations, the, the colleagues that they wanted, um, it all kind of tied back to this one major career decision in the life of a dentist of whether or not they buy a practice, and if they buy a practice, which one, and, and how that process goes. And I saw dentists that bought practices and didn't do things very well, like really struggle. And I started digging in. And at the time, I was the junior dental CPA and junior financial planner, right? So I was getting all the younger dental clients at a bigger dental CPA firm. And um, <laughs> you'll laugh, Haley, I'm lazy, right? And I would get the same question over and over. Um, you know, is this a good practice? How about this one? Like, how do I value a practice? And so I would just write blog posts so that I could just send people the blog post rather than answer the same question over and over. And um, after a little while, I had enough blog posts that I, I turned it into a book that, again, because I'm an accountant and I'm not very creative, I titled How to Buy a Dental Practice. And <laughs> that book uh, got, a, got a lot of interest. It still sells very well. And, um, and I just thought, man, I really like doing this why don't I just do this? And, uh, and it's been about five years that I've been uh, just helping buyers of dental practices. And yeah, that's, that's me. And that's what I do. Awesome. Awesome. I appreciate your time today. Um, so I was hoping you could just walk through maybe some of the basic steps that a young dentist or maybe coming right out of dental school would be going through to purchase a practice. Okay. Yeah. So 
There are some major steps. I'm going to talk first about mindset, and then I want to talk about five things you actually need. All right. But I want to talk mindset first because it's by far the most common piece missing from the puzzle of a dentist who's maybe younger in their career or just getting started or is in dental school and is just trying to decide what they want to do. Um, You know, I can get into like, here are the five things you need. You're going to need this. You're going to need that. But if you don't have the right mindset, none of that stuff even matters. And here's what I mean by mindset. So a lot of dentists aren't sure whether or not they want to buy a practice early on in their career. And the most common conversation I have with my clients is, hey, I've been out of school for five, seven, nine years. I've been an associate forever. I don't really like it. I've known that I want to kind of be on my own. I have an entrepreneurial drive or I've wanted to have some clinical freedom but I've, you know, I've just, I haven't really pulled the trigger. I didn't want, you know, I was felt overwhelmed by student loans. And so the, the mindset that I want people to have when it comes to buying a practice is to have a sense. And all you need is a sense. You don't need to know for sure, but have a, have a sense of whether or not you want to work for someone else for the rest of your career. If the answer to that is, hmm, I don't think so, or I'm not sure, but I'm, that doesn't sound great to me, then the mindset that I want you to have is an ownership mindset. I want you to think that eventually in your career, you're going to own your own business. And and there's a lot of reasons for that. We can get, Haley, if you want to get into some of the the financial pieces and the clinical freedom and, you know, why you'd want to do some of those things. But if you just have the right mindset that being an owner is totally possible, it's totally doable, and it can be done a lot sooner than most people think, you're going to have the biggest mistake taken care of relative to the rest of your colleagues. So I'm, I'm going to flip the tables on you a little bit, um, Haley, and ask you a question. If I say that, yeah. and you're in, you know, and I've, you're at Michigan, right? Which is where yeah. I did my MBA, right? So I've spoken at the Dental School of Michigan, and, it, and I did this once um, when we could still travel. <laughs> <laughs> I, so if, pretend I'm in a, a classroom, one of the, the you know, the theater-style classrooms in there, and it's way too hot because the air conditioning is not working in the old building. And, <laughs> you know, and, and I asked the question, how many of you want to own a dental practice? You know, what percentage of hands would you say go up with that question of, of a room of D3s and D4s? Probably like 85, I would think, oh, if not more. I feel like everyone I talk to is like, that's the main goal, like eventually. Cool. <laughs> I love that that's your answer. That is, that I'm thrilled to hear that. When I actually did that in the room, and maybe it was just that, they were looking at me and they trust you more. I got like 10% of the hands. Um, and, and again, I'm, I'm putting on the spot, but what do you think the big, so I asked people like, why aren't you sure? Or why don't you want to buy a practice? What would you guess is the main reason that people gave me? Probably like the startup investment and like the loan that you take out might scare yeah. them. Yep. That's money. Right. And so they're, they're, I hear a lot of feel answers when I ask that question, like, why don't you want to buy a practice now? And, and I get a lot of like, I don't feel ready, or it feels scary, or I feel like I have a lot of student loans. And I want to get a, a handle on those before I go get a, a practice loan. And like, I don't want to be someone that diminishes other people's feelings, because that's, your feelings are valid. They're yours, you own them, and that's great. And like, if you buy a practice and you want to feel like an owner and feel like you have a a handle on your student loans and feel like you have control over your financial future. The only person you can rely on is yourself. 
And you're going to get out of student loan debt faster as an owner. You're going to make the kind of money you want to make faster as an owner. So if you wait five, seven years, yeah, you maybe pay down a little of your student loans and kind of get a handle on things and have some hand speed and some clinical skills. And you took that implant course you wanted before you owned and, and some of those things. But like, if you think about what banks do, and we'll get into this in just a second, but banks give loans to first year associates all the time. And banks don't deal in feelings, right? Banks run the numbers. And the numbers consistently show over and over that, you know, somewhere around the year mark after your education is done, with a few caveats, we can talk about military and specialists and things, um, you're going to be ready to own. So if you want to own, your biggest cost isn't your feelings, it's time. It's that time in the chair where you're working for someone else. And I want you to think like that mindset that I want you to have is my biggest cost is my time, not the interest on my student loans. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Cool. Okay, so I promised to talk about the five things that you need to buy a practice, all right? So if you've got the right mindset, you think you may want to own, here are the five things you actually need. So I already alluded to one of them. And if you caught it, it's you need to be out of your education for about a year. I say education, what I have in mind is I have the Gunner D4 in mind. That's like, oh no, not me. I'm going to buy a dental practice right out of dental school. (laughs) And I'm like, more power to you. I think that's awesome. I'm not going to be the one to tell you it can't be done, but I am going to be the one to tell you that most folks don't do very well in that situation. And a lot of people that I've talked with that did buy a practice right out of school wish they had waited about a year. And um, so I tell people, have about a year's worth of experience, both for yourself and to be able to qualify for the type of bank loan you're going to want, for the type of practice you're going to want. Because banks will only give you a couple hundred grand right out of dental school. And the types of practices you probably want, again, no answer is right for everybody. But if we're playing the odds and and people listening to this probably should be looking at practices collecting $800,000 or more which means you're going to pay north of $600,000 and, and in a lot of cases, a much bigger number for your practice. And a bank's not going to loan you that much money right out of school. Some exceptions to that rule would be um, specialists for sure. Get a, a pass on that rule. Military doctors often get a pass. And sometimes if you do a high producing AGD or GPR, you can uh, get, get a practice right out of like a residency like that. Does that make sense? Is there anything I can clarify with that first one? It does make sense. It made me curious, though. So the banks are less likely to loan your first year out of dental school because I assume a reason, because people tend to not perform as well and not give them a good return on that investment. It's so it's just riskier. It's not dentists are the safest small business loan on the planet, literally. And that's and we can talk numbers in a second, but it's just riskier. And so the banks are reluctant to lend the type of money they lend to everybody else, primarily because you don't have that chair time, the hand speed, the clinical experience. And frankly, a lot of dentists think they know what they want to do right out of dental school. And then they go do it for a few years and they change their mind. And so those are some of the reasons why banks are a little more reluctant to lend to a D4. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Okay. So the second thing, the second and third things are related and they're really easy for most dentists. Okay. And they're both credit related. The second thing you need is you need a credit score over 680. All right. So the, the 680 score is just a pass fail. It's like going around the monopoly board and get your 200 bucks. Like if you have a 681, 
you're probably going to get the same rate in terms from your buddy in dental school that has like an 800 plus credit score. For most banks, it's just a pass fail. 680, that's it. Make sense? Yes. Okay. So 680 credit score. And then the third thing you need is a clean credit history. That's a little bit different than a score. In other words, they don't want to see a bankruptcy or a short sale like on a property or something in your history. Those are the two that come up the most with dentists. You know, maybe they bought an investment property and they got underwater and they had to do a short sale. Um, those aren't deal killers in every case, but those can prevent dentists from getting a loan. But 99.9% of people that I talk to don't even, you know, we, we breeze right past that. And I assume most of your audience will too. All right. So the fourth thing that you need is related to your experience. And that is that you need a production history to show a bank. And it's a very specific thing that I, I mean here. So a production history is just proof that you can do dental work and that you can do it relatively quickly. And the number though, that you're going to need is you need to show a bank that you can do roughly, and this isn't a hard and fast rule. So, um, you know, there's some wiggle room here, but it's roughly 80% of whatever the doctor is doing in the practice that you're buying or buying into. So simple numbers, right? So Haley, you're going to go buy a dental practice that's collecting exactly a million bucks. All right. And it's a general practice, meaning that there's some hygiene happening, right? And let's pretend for a second, the hygiene production of that million is 250, leaving 750 for the doctor, right? So what I'm saying is, Haley, you've got to be able to show a bank, you can do 80% of the 750 the seller's doing. And that math works out to uh, just over 600. So you got to be able to show a production history of 80% of what the seller was doing. Do those numbers make sense? Yeah, it does. Except I guess I'm questioning. So the you're like an associate for like an owner dentist. Is that saying that like they're only doing 20% of that collections? I guess is where I was losing you. So... I'm picturing you, Haley, finding a solo doctor somewhere in Ann Arbor that's just practicing by himself and has some hygienists, and you're going to go buy his practice or her practice. And you're going to buy out a retiring doctor. All you need to do is be able to show that you can do about what the doctor was doing. The bank isn't going to say, hey, you have to show us that you can be as fast and as experienced as a retiring doctor who's been practicing their whole career. But we do need to know that you can keep up, at least hopefully, you know, for the most part, to what the seller was doing. Did that clarify your question? Yeah. And I guess next follow-up question is how do you show that to them? Ah, good question. Okay. <laughs> so the, the, there are many options here, and the banks can get very creative. But the first and best way is, as an associate, print off a production report from the practice management software once a month if possible, certainly once a year. So I don't know, have a date in your head. First of the month, every month, I'm going to walk up to the front desk. I'm going to jump into Dentrix or Eaglesoft and I'm going to open dental and I'm going to print a production by provider report that shows how much production I did last month or last year. Okay. 
most folks can do it that way. Some folks can't, they don't have access or, you know, they work for a DSO who doesn't give them access to the production reports. If that's the case, sometimes you can get other reports that show how many procedures you can do and a bank will take that. And in a worst case scenario, a bank will take a pay stub and they'll infer how much production you did based on how much you were paid. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. You ready for the fifth thing you need? Yes. Okay. It's the toughest. All right. And so I have some very specific recommendations for folks like you that are still in school and still kind of working through education things. But the fifth thing that you need is you need some cash. All right. And I'll tell you the magic number, and then I'll tell you that you don't actually have to hand the bank the cash. All right. So, but here's the magic number. Magic number is the lesser of $50,000 or 10% of the purchase price of the practice you're buying. All right. So 50 grand or 10% of the purchase price. So if you're buying a practice that costs $400,000, you know, you'd be okay with 40 grand in cash in a bank. But if you're buying a practice that's a million that has a billion dollar price tag, you don't need to have a full 10% or $100,000 saved up. In most cases with most banks, you're going to be okay having around $50,000 in liquid cash. And, and I'll talk about why here in a second, what you do with that cash, but here's the rule. The rule is that cash has to be liquid and accessible. So for most people, that means checking savings in a brokerage account, not a 401k, not a credit card that you could get a cash advance from, not an IRA, liquid cash that is available and ready to show. Do the rules make sense? And I can talk about like, you know, what you actually do with that cash, but did that, did you follow? Yeah, for sure. Okay, perfect. So, all right. So the first, you know, a lot of people that never heard this before think, oh, okay. So you're telling me I need a down payment. And my answer to that is actually, no, you don't. It's not actually a down payment. All you got to do is have the cash in your account. And then the bank will loan you not just a hundred percent of the purchase price, like the full ticket price of the practice. In most cases, the banks will loan you everything they'll actually give you another 50, 75, sometimes $100,000 on top of the purchase price of the practice. So you've got some cash in the bank account. So then the next question is like, well, wait, you're telling me I'm going to get all the money I need to buy the practice. Why do I need cash? And the, the answer is the bank wants to know, is Haley the type of dentist who, as soon as she got a good paying job as an associate, she blew every dollar she had? Or is she the type of dentist that has the the... Um, the ability to save some money and that mental fortitude to not, you know, just go hog wild with their (laughs) newfound riches. And then the other reason is, is we've just seen, you know, we're recording this in 2020, the year of COVID banks want to know that if there is a major emergency that you've got a fallback that could keep the practice afloat. Got it. Got it. So um, another thing you mentioned that, we could kind of touch on, I guess, besides just those five things about ownership, but is there anything else that you think a dental student should be thinking about while they're still in school, if they want to be an owner, anything they should be doing now or preparing to do? Yeah, um, I do. I have a very, very specific, and it's probably the most helpful thing I'll say on this whole recording. And that is to start building relationships with as many dentists as possible. And that, I'll explain exactly what I mean and why. And, and I'm, I'm fully aware that sounds really fuzzy and really kind of like nonspecific. 
Um, but, but here's what I mean. And here's why I'm recommending. Um, I want someone who's thinking about the next steps in their career right now, today, I don't care if you're a D one, you just got into school, you're just listening to this. Um, and you've got four years of tests ahead of you. Like I want you to be creating as many relationships in the dental community as possible because when you're ready to buy a practice, it's harder to find a practice than you think it's going to be. All right. A lot of people imagine that buying a dental practice is analogous to like buying a house or buying a really nice car. And, you know, you can buy a house by jumping on MLS and hiring a broker or someone to go search the listings for you. You can go buy a car, hopping on the online and just browsing listings and then finding the car you want. Buying a business is totally different. There is no central listing of all the dental practices for sale in the country. And there's no central listing of dental practices for sale in the city or state or neighborhood that you want to live in. And so for most folks, what they do is they're like, they get to their, that point in their career, they're like, okay, I've got my credit history. I've saved up some cash. Okay. I'm ready to buy a practice. And they look around and there's no defined step, right? There's no one to help them like hand them a practice. And I'm, I'm, I'm forgiving of that mindset because a typical dentist's path to that point has been so defined by, you know, hundred plus years of, you know, becoming a dentist, right? You're on this treadmill. It's okay. Undergrad and biology, take the DAT, get into dental school, decide on a residency, yes or no, get an associateship. Like it's, you know, the next step is always really well-defined and there's typically a pretty defined process on how that next step goes. And so dentists get to that stage of trying to find a practice to buy and they look around and there's no one to like hold their hand through that process. And, and it's, you know, so my advice is if you want to find a good practice to buy and you think you're going to rely on just brokers that are out there selling practices, you're going to be in for a long search and you're likely going to be looking at practices that are less than ideal because a lot of people, a lot of sellers don't hire brokers. And then a lot of brokers that do get good listings, like a decent practice that people want to buy, they have a list of names already to call before they ever throw it up on a website. So by the time you're in, sitting in front of your computer in your pajamas, browsing dental practice listings, looking for a practice to buy, you're already looking at like the, the very bottom list of people that sellers that didn't have any relationships and brokers that couldn't find buyers already. And so, you know, those, it's not that you can't find a practice through a broker. It's just that you're going to be more likely to find a good practice in the city and state and neighborhood that you want to live in if you've already got some established relationships out in the community. So my strong, strong advice is start building that network of other dentists quickly and, and, and be indiscriminate. And, and I don't mean networking like schmoozy business card cocktail party network. That's not what I mean. What I mean is just a network of people that know you're a, a young, hungry interested dentist who wants to buy a practice someday and that would pick up the phone if you called them or would answer an email if you shot them a question. And, and so if you're a younger dentist, I would give you, my bias would be that you try to find a bunch of gray haired dentists that know, like, and trust you. But I don't even think you need to be that specific at this stage. Like just start creating relationships as many as possible in the dental community so that when you get to that stage of wanting to buy a practice, 
you've got some people to lean on and you can have some conversations of, Hey, I'm thinking about moving to Atlanta. You know, I'm looking to buy a practice. If you know of anybody, will you let me know? And that's going to be how you find the good practice for sale when you want to buy it. Yeah, that's great. Is there, I guess, anything else you feel like is really important for the mostly dental students listening to this podcast to know today? Well, I think the last piece of advice that I have is is a little self-serving. I don't mean it to be, but dentists are kind of outside of dentistry and even within somewhat. Like you guys are looked at as like a big giant sack of money with a dollar sign on the outside, like like a cartoon, right? <laughs> like everybody's selling to dentists all the time. Like you guys are just targets. And so I guess like my main piece of advice is thinking about buying a practice is probably the biggest purchase you'll ever make in your life. Please don't do it on your own. Whether or not you call me or you hire me, I don't really care, but definitely, definitely get someone on your team that help you through that process. A lawyer, an accountant, are, are some people that you should pay directly. And, um, and I want you to feel like you've got someone in your corner with what is going to be a huge purchase and a really, really important one for your career. So uh, just don't leave it to yourself. You can get educated and I, I'll have a resource for you here in a minute to you know, become more educated on the process, but you know, don't just leave it to chance and get some help. Perfect. Perfect. And what is that resource you wanted to share? Yeah. Um, so I mentioned a book. Um, if, if folks that are listening to this podcast want a free copy of the book, I'm happy to order them an author copy through the publisher and just, uh, they charge me shipping and, and postage. Um, I'm happy to pick that up. I think if you buy the book on Amazon, it's 20 bucks. I want to say if, if you go to the link, I'll give you here in a minute, it's maybe seven or eight bucks or something. So if you want a, a cheaper, or, you know, just shipping and handling only copy of the book, just go to my website, brianhanks.com forward slash book. So, and then I'll, I'll order an author copy. I'm happy to send it to you free of charge. Awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time today. Is there, I think you covered everything, but is there anything else you want to say today? I uh, just can't wait for uh, go blue and beat Ohio state. <laughs> yes, I hope so. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Thanks Haley. See ya. All right, that's everything for our conversation with Brian. I hope you all will take him up on his offer and grab a copy of his book, How to Buy a Dental Practice. Be sure to stick around for the next couple of minutes if you want to hear about Atomic Habits. But I did also just want to mention what our episode will be for next week. It's a really fun three-way conversation between myself, um, Dr. Stephen Liu, and Dr. Hamza Gaj. I've had both of them on the podcast separately, and they became good friends after being on the podcast and connecting that way. So it's a really fun conversation. We talk about life after dental school, both of them working in their different dentistry settings, private practice, working for an FQHC, having worked in corporate dentistry, pros, cons, differences between dentistry at your dental school and then when you get out into the real world a little bit about salaries as dentists. So you really learn a lot in that episode. I know it was my first introduction into all of that outside of dental school. So I hope you're all excited for that episode. And real quickly, we will do a little wrap up of our final thoughts on Atomic Habits. Again, make sure you respond to the post in the Facebook group. If you did read the book over break and let me know what you thought of it. I personally absolutely love the book and I would highly recommend Atomic Habits to anyone if you haven't read it yet. But if you did and you're following along with us, I'm going to talk a little bit about the last two parts of the book. I did take some notes on some things that I thought were really interesting. So I didn't write down the 
like unit that each of these are from or the part that each of them are from, but they are going in order from occurrence in the book. So one part is talking about the difference between action and motion. So when you have a habit and you're going through the motions, you're planning, you're strategizing, you're learning, that's what this says, they're good, but they don't produce results. Action, on the other hand, is what's going to deliver outcomes. So you can write down ideas, you can sit there and plan everything out for the day, you're just going through the motions, but nothing's really going to happen until you actually start that task, you actually start the workout, you actually cook the healthy food that you bought. So I thought that was a really good point because it kind of (laughs) called me out, you know, on the things that I don't always do very well. And I thought that was a really easy way to be mentally checking yourself on, am I doing things the right way? Am I going to be building good habits or not? Am I just sitting there and hoping and planning how I can build a good habit? Or am I actually taking a step in the direction of starting to do that habit? This was quite a bit later in the book, almost like 70 pages later than that topic. But I did take a picture of this because I thought it was really interesting. And I thought it could really relate to all of us as people on the journey towards dentistry. So it was talking about what would you be good at, narrow in on habits that will be most satisfying to you. And it directly started to make me think about work and doing dentistry because the book often mentions being in the flow state where you're just grinding, 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 doing the work and not even noticing that you're working. And some of the questions it says to ask yourself is, what feels like fun to me but work to others? What makes me lose track of time? Where do I get greater returns than the average person? And all of those things kind of made me think, that they could relate back to your why dentistry and they made me think about sitting in SimLab. Maybe not the last question because I'm really not (laughs) better than my peers in SimLab, but what do I think is fun and what makes me lose track of time? Dentistry. Dentistry for sure. And people ask me like, why do you like looking at teeth? What's so fun about dentistry? And it's so hard to explain because you're just either the kind of person that thinks it's so awesome or you're the kind of person that's just never going to get it and that's okay. But I think that's a really great way to reflect if dentistry is right for you or could maybe even give you some ideas if you're working on your personal statement right now. And then a couple pages later, another thing also stuck out to me that I thought could really relate to your application to dental school or even your application to a job in dentistry. It says, when you can't win by being better, you can win by being different. By combining your skills, you reduce the level of competition, which makes it easier to stand out. You can shortcut the need for a genetic advantage by rewriting the rules. So I thought if you're a pre-dent, that could really apply to you in the sense that thinking about all of your little things that make you you combined is what make you a unique applicant versus just focusing on one trait about yourself. Honestly, it might not make you stand out much, but blending everything together in some way really shows them who you are and how you could benefit their program as a student. But I also think that that can be a really great way to sell yourself if you're interviewing for dental jobs and making sure you know what makes you you and what makes you tick and what would make a good work environment for you. That way you can ensure that you're working somewhere that you fit in well and that is going to be productive for yourself and also whoever you are working as an associate for. 
But yes, those are the few little direct takeaways that I wrote notes on that I thought could be applicable to all of you related to the book Atomic Habits. But I know for me overall, again, I just want to say I thought it was an excellent read and I'm really glad that I took the time to do that over break. Thank you to my friend Haley in my small group that let me borrow the book. That way I could read it. And again, I did just want to thank you all for listening to this episode. Thank you so much for a great year, a great half a year of Dental Download Podcast. We're already through so many episodes, haven't missed a week since we started, and I'm really hoping that that can continue into this next semester of dental school that I can continue posting every Monday morning for you all. And I do, if you're still listening, (laughs) two favors. I would love, love, love if you can join the Facebook group because I feel like people are starting to ask more questions in there and the more feedback and opinions they can get as answers, the better, and we can all help each other. And second thing, please share this podcast with someone that you think would be interested and that will really help us grow in this new year. So with all that being said, thank you so much for listening to this episode and I will talk to you next week when we're joined with Dr. Gaj and Dr. Lou.